Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, Christina. How you doing, girl? I am doing wonderfully, Miss McKemini, today. I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Girl, you know what? I'm good. You know, it's winter. <laughs> you know, I'm a, thank you for asking. Where's the sun? Where is the sun? Okay, it's very important. Where is the sun? I'm low on my vitamin D, but that's okay. <laughs> oh, that is okay. I have the joy the, of the Lord, and he will continue to sustain me. So, so churchy. <laughs> You're so churchy. I'm so churchy. It's so very churchy. And so, well, I'm excited because this is it's our last installment. Well, I'm, I'm happy and I'm sad, though, because um, it's our last episode of our Reparations Now series, sure. and it, we've been having a very positive response. I'm actually pleasantly surprised. Thanks, folks. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Um, uh, but we, of course, did not want to close out this series without anchoring the, the call for reparations um, that, that we want to center it on the church. And we thought, man, who should we bring to the table mm-hmm. to talk about this? Um, and we just decided, you know what? Why don't we bring our brother, Reverend Dr. Pastor <laughs> Duke Kwan to the table. We wanted him at the table. And so we're so happy to have you, Pastor Duke. Hey. Thank you for sitting at the table with us. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It is such an honor. And so we were like, why don't we have him come and talk about ecclesiastical reparations and break it down for the people? <laughs> what, what does that mean, right? What does that, that even mean? mean? What does that even mean? Uh, but before we get into it, why don't I let you guys know a little bit more about um, Pastor uh, Duke. Now, he is our brother from an Asian mother. Amen. Amen. <laughs> And we are happy to have him here with us. So now Reverend Duke Kwan is the lead pastor of Grace Meridian Hill, a congregation in the Grace DC network located in Washington, DC. He spent his early years in Southern California, then journeyed to the East Coast for his undergrad studies at Brown University. Working as an analyst at a management consulting firm, Duke began his formal training for pastoral ministry at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary, where he obtained his MDiv and THM. During his time in New England, he also served on the campus ministry staffs of Grace Covenant Campus Church and Reformed University Fellowship, Brown, um, where he also met his wife, Paula. Duke moved to Washington, D.C. in 2004 to serve as the assistant pastor of Grace, D.C.'s anchor congregation, Grace Downtown. Then in 2011, planted its second congregation, Grace Meridian, Meridian Hill, a neighborhood church located in one of the most ethnically and economically diverse parts of the nation's capital. Duke and Paula live in Columbia Heights together with their three children, three adorable children. And you can find him on Twitter at Duquan DC. Follow Duke. He will preach the gospel of grace to you on the Twitters. Hey, so welcome to the table. All welcome right. to the table, Pastor Duke. We're happy to have you with us. Oh, man, this, this is a dream come true. <laughs> to be here at the table. I don't know how I got here. I slipped in the back door or something. You are the internet bishop. That is how you got here. Thank you. Yes. Oh, man. That is how you got here. You know, um, in, in, in 2017, well, we all know 2017 was a doozy. Um, yeah. And we were all at uh, LDR, uh, the Leadership Development Resource uh, Conference in St. Louis. And you just gave such a compelling 
and powerful sermon um, at the Speaking Truth. I think the theme was um, Speak the Truth in Love. And yeah. um, I, I know we at the table were moved in, uh, by your message. Um, and you you talked about uh, this concept. Well, actually, first of all, before I even jump into it, because I'm so excited, why don't you talk to us about your faith story? Talk to us about that first, and then we're going to jump into what you actually talked about in your story. Yeah, well, I grew up in a family that was um, growing in the Christian faith in my early years. Um, my, my dad came to faith when I was four years old. And so that meant we were all figuring it out together. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think the, 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 my faith became my own and Jesus became more real and personal yeah. to me. The grace of God came alive to me, probably closer to college. Um, and that's definitely when my faith trajectory just started taking off in terms of deeper maturity and growing in community and mission and all this. Um, and so it's been a, a, a wild ride since then. Um, but yeah, called to ministry towards the end of college and um, called to church planting and city ministry um, mm-hmm. a little bit after that as well. And so glad to try to always be working out these things in real community and real life, right? So it's not just yep. theoretical stuff we're talking about at, uh, on an armchair or even just among friends, but really living it out because that's how our faith is meant to be lived. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so I remember very well, and Kim and he just started to bring it up, being at LDR uh, so in 2017 Mm -hmm. and listening to your sermon and and just really being blown away by both the the grace and the truth that was there, you know? Mm -hmm. And... um, Yeah. And one of the one of the the, the the phrases that you said that I think for most people listening, they would have walked away with having ringing in their head was this idea of this kind of ecclesiastical reparation or what does it mean for the church oh. to 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 repair? And I just wanted to yeah open the door for you to unpack that a little bit. Give maybe our listeners a snapshot of kind of what your hopes were and what you shared. And they can check that out online as well. We'll, we'll, we'll give them access to it. Mm-hmm. We'll provide the but link. If you could yeah. just share us mm-hmm. a little bit about what your where your heart was and what you were thinking and a little bit about that phrase that you lifted up. Yeah, I... You know, let me let me just share some thoughts on on how I use these words or how I think of these words um, to to be uh, a little bit semantically anal Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. uh, to be precise. Right. I I would distinguish between reparation Mm -hmm. and reparations. Mm. Reparation. Mm -hmm. So without the S is the principle reparation reparations, I would say, is the practice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. principle reparation is simply referring to repair, uh, the repair Mm -hmm. of broken things. I know you all have been talking about this. Um, But for me, this is simply a product of our theology of repentance. Mm -hmm. It's not related to social theory per se. It's not coming from different important places. This is primarily about a biblical theology of repentance, which is not just about feeling sorry for wrongs that you have done, but actually making those things right. 
And the church just honestly is not good at this. In fact, recently, Rachel Denhollander, who has just been this incredible prophetess and sister speaking truth about the nature of abuse in the Larry Nassar sentencing uh, hearing and the the talk, really speech sermon that she gave there. Uh, But, you know, she, she speaks openly about the deficient theology of repentance God in mm-hmm. the church. We, we don't know how to do this well. And so we don't always mm-hmm. realize that repentance requires reparation. This is the principle, bearing fruits yes. of repentance. Um, yes. you know, kinda, yes. I, I think of it in, you know, I've got little kids at home. Mm-hmm. So Daniel Tiger, they always got these great <laughs> jingles. In this hey, kitchen, Daniel right? Tiger's good. You know? <laughs> You know, there's a lot of good gospel theology in Daniel Tiger. Look it up, right? But there, you know, there's this one song that my kids sing that he sings. Saying I'm sorry is the first step. Now, how can I help? Mm. Teach us, Daniel. That's right. The the prophet Daniel. No. Um, When we, we, we need to say sorry, we need to put words to our apology, but then we need to then make things right. Mm. Um, This is restitution. Now, this is what's important to me about this principle of reparation. In my understanding, reparation is not retribution. Mm. This is not punishment. Come on, come on. It's restitution. Mm. But Mm -hmm. here's the key, though. In my understanding, it's therefore a matter of justice and not charity. You are mm-hmm. doing what yeah. is right, what is mm-hmm. owed to those whom you have wronged, not in a punitive fashion. It's not punishment, but it is owed. So strictly speaking, I would say reparation is not a function of grace. Mm. Charity, it's not kindness per se, but is a matter of justice. It is something that we justice. ought to do. It's something that we are obligated yeah. to do as a fruit of our repentance. Mm, yeah. Another way that you might yeah. talk about reparation, you know, uh, Cornelius Plantinga mm-hmm. uh, does this great study on the nature of sin mm-hmm. and the nature of shalom. Yeah. And he describes shalom yeah. as what? The way things ought to be. Yeah. So, Reparation is the restoration of shalom. Mm-hmm. We're trying to restore things back yeah. to the way yeah. they ought to yeah. be, the way that they yeah. were prior to the injury. Mm-hmm. But in fact, beyond that, mm-hmm. not just to the way things were prior, but forward, bringing it to how things ought to be with Jesus at the center. So that's, that's kind of how I'm thinking about reparation and the way that we find it in scripture. Sure. Reparations then is the practice of this. So the most common understanding of reparations is what you might call civil reparations, right? This is state action mm-hmm. um, with respect to making restitution for wrongs done. Um, sure. And um, in light of slavery and the disenfranchisement of um, African people's uh, not only mm-hmm. uh, from the beginning, but even over the centuries, over time. Mm-hmm. And so there's that. And there's a lot that we need to talk about 
with respect to civil reparations. I, I do want to point out yeah. that yeah. there's a, a big old kind. We can come back to this if, if we can or if you're interested yeah. in it. But there is a significant role that the church could play and probably must play even as we wrestle with the idea of civil reparations. Mm. Oh, we're going to get there. We're going we're gonna to ask you about right. that for and, sure. Uh, but what I want to distinguish here is this idea of ecclesiastical reparations. So I, I know I've taken a long time no, so no, far no, no, to no. get to where you wanted no, me to no, get, no. but I just want oh, to okay. lay out the land so it's clear kind of how all these puzzle pieces fit together in my mind. Mm. So ecclesiastical reparations is this idea, again, the restoration of shalom uh, as a, an outgrowth, a fruit of our repentance. Uh, this is sort of how the, the, the idea is, how can the church begin to make restitution for its racial sins? Um, how, how can we actually... Uh, facilitate shalom the way things ought to be in the church by putting into place corrective measures hmm. in regards to, you know, grappling seriously with all the ways in which um, hmm. black peoples have been uh, excluded from the life of the communion of the church, mm -hmm. uh, have been marginalized from leadership, have been... Yeah. Uh, not in the conversations mm -hmm. that have formed our litur liturgical practices and even our theological confessions. Mm -hmm. um, so ecclesiastical reparations is uh, a practice of restoring to the church a vision and a set of practices in a community that takes it to a place where all peoples, Black peoples in particular, um, are engaged as full members, equitable partners in the community. And so we're not talking about payment of money per se. It's not a purely monetary payment or restitution in this ecclesiastical reparation sense, uh, but rather it's uh, addressing church community structures mm -hmm. and it's uh, uh, ministry norms and patterns uh, but it might include money too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, sort of considering how our resources sure. might actually be redeployed and um, uh, sort of uh, repurposed in different ways. Um, and, and so, anyway, I, I'm happy to keep on unpacking it together with you guys, but just to leave mm. that as a broad overview of what we're talking about here. That's good. No, thank you for that. Now, um, Duke, how would you uh, define ecclesiastical? Just for our listeners who might not know what you mean by that term, that maybe they've never heard of ecclesiology or any of that. What does that mean? That's good. That's a that's a that's a that's a big word that's overly complicated because it simply means <laughs> church. It just means church, right? Mm -hmm. So ecclesiastical comes from uh, the Greek word ekklesia, yes. uh, which is the assembly. Of God's people, and so this is the community of believers. This is the organization of the church as well, institutional church life. Uh, so it's a multifaceted word, but we're talking about reparations in the church. Mm, awesome! Mm. Thank you for breaking that down. Um, you know, you were you were talking about uh, 
here and in your LDR um, sermon about, uh, you said something about, well, I'll quote you here, you said reparation um, is like, a, as a, you were talking about reparation as a fruit of true racial repentance. Um, and I'm wondering if you can unpack that for us a bit more, and if you can also even speak to critics who might say, well, you know, reparations um, yeah. is, you know, is, what do you say to critics who would say, it's just charity, right? Or it's a handout, or, because um, you brought in some really good dimensions and nuance um, to your own definitions of the civil side um, and what the church will be required, what, what would be required of the church. So if you could talk um, to, to naysayers who would say, oh, you know, reparations is just a handout, um, it's, it's just charity, and we shouldn't have to pay it. Um, how can you talk about, put that in conversation with your own um, phrase about how reparations is a fruit of um, true racial repentance. Right, right. Well, I think what we find in scripture again and again is this understanding of repentance Mm -hmm. as not just an inward dynamic, but also uh, an outward uh, zeal to redress wrongs specifically and practically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think one of the, the best places to go is the words used by John the Baptist. We find mm-hmm. this in the book Hello. of Matthew, right? When he turns to his listeners and, and he's tearing them apart, right? He's holding no prisoners. He, yep. you know, and he's telling them that they need to repent, but they actually need to bear fruit in keeping, keeping with, with repentance. The repentance. There you go. Yes. Right. And so <laughs> we're, we're, in, in other words, your repentance needs to show up in real life. Sure. Right? And, you know, and you, we see this even in the, New Test, uh, in the New Testament epistles, when the Apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, he commends them for their repentance. And even there, he talks about practical fruit or changes that genuine repentance created in them. So he actually commends them for their earnestness, their eagerness to clear themselves, their alarm, their indignation, even their readiness to see justice done. Right. So Paul himself is looking for ways in which uh, repentance actually energizes our lives and our relationships where we are trying to address ways that we've injured people and to now make things right. The best example uh, is always Zacchaeus. Right. Luke 19. Yes. uh, Where he, upon um, having his heart transformed by the, the stunning friendship of Jesus, right, the grace of the. Mm-hmm. Good news of Jesus showing up in his house. Um, he mm-hmm. repents, but he doesn't just say Amen. sorry. He doesn't just say sorry. He says, I'm going to actually make things mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. right. He says, I'm going to yep. pay people back fourfold, right? And Jesus commends him. Today, salvation has come mm-hmm. to this mm-hmm. house. Right. And so, you know, Zacchaeus's repentance is is demonstrated, even proven by his commitment to pay people back, to give them back what he stole from them and then more fourfold. Yes. Right. Yes. And, um, so, you know, this is this again and again is the pattern of scripture in taking our injuries seriously, but also in this expectation, even obligation, that we more than verbalize our repentance, mm-hmm. that it actually 
is shown forth in our desire to repair broken things, repair broken things. And so I I think it's it's clear in scripture, the principle. I think we get tripped up in the application of it, especially Mm -hmm. when we're talking about it on a civil level. Granted, it's complicated. It's complicated. Um, and, And there's room to disagree. But my concern, though, is can we at least agree on this principle? I'm not sure if we can. I'm not sure if we're even there that repentance yeah. has to show up in more than a verbalization contrition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Right? We need to do more. And um, and so, of course, there's no popular support for reparations. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not surprised at that because there's no popular support for come repentance. On. Come either. on. Come on. Our come racial on. wrongs. Right? Come on. The, 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 the one flows from the other. And so let's let's hunker down and figure out this principle, this reparation principle. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Well, that Thanks that will that will yeah. be tweeted. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't don't you think so, Kimberly? <laughs> I think I, yes, it, it, it shall be tweeted. <laughs> you, so, yeah, so, yeah. so, Pastor Duke, I'm I'd like for you to use your sanctified imagination, if you would. Yeah. And I know that this is, as you just mentioned, this is very complicated, what it looks like on the ground. Right. Yeah. But for example, you mentioned confessions, right? Um, and, mm. you know, the nature of what confessions we bring forward and we don't bring forward, whose voices we hear and we don't hear. And I, if you could draw out a bit for us, maybe, um, maybe a practical application of ecclesiastical reparations, what does it mean in terms of how we understand our traditions or denominations? What would it look like to repair um, the breaches that have taken place uh, in regards to ignoring, for example, Black voices? What are some concrete ways we would move forward? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, theologically, it's an interesting thing mm-hmm. because we are all committed to our theology arising um, from Scripture, mm-hmm. Right. We're not just making stuff up. We're not isolating the Bible and, and inserting human opinion or human tradition. Yeah, we are committed yeah. to working ground up from the eternal word of God. But here's the challenge. All of our theological reflections and articulations are inevitably and unavoidably enculturated. Sure. Because they're processed by and articulated by enculturated human Beings. I mean, and, and this is not an obvious point. <laughs> this is not something that we all, you know, th- this is actually something that probably needs to be discussed more, even though it's been uh, asserted and explained and argued in plenty mm-hmm. of places. Uh, yeah, yeah. We like to believe that we are disembodied, uh, uh, you know, unenculturated, you know, got, get, getting the truth of God directly from his eternal um, mind. And, um, right, but. But the truth is, every time we uh, sort of write or express or explain or illustrate the eternal, yes, universal truths of God, we are always putting cultural encasings around it. We can't, you know, we're we're doing it through human languages. We're doing it through uh, cultural forms. So what that means is, sorry, I'm getting to this point. What that means is... Um, if we haven't had multiple voices articulating together the truth of God's word in our historic confessions, if we haven't had 
um, all different kinds of people at the table, if we're only shaping our theology through a certain cultural lens, for example, a Eurocentric, yeah. a Eurocentric sure. cultural lens or a Western cultural lens or an American cultural lens, then even mm -hmm. our theology mm -hmm. is going to be skewed right. towards the things that Western culture or Eurocentric culture is going to be able to see. And I'll, let me throw in this caveat. That's not all bad because as we understand in our theology of culture, that means there are going to be certain things that Western or European culture is going to see better than other yeah. cultures. There's, actually, sure. there's, there's an asset to this. There's a contribution that sure. those lenses will make. We need that point of view as well. The mm -hmm. question is, is that the only point of view that we need? <laughs> right. That's the problem, yeah. So what I think we need to reckon with is that we have blind spots even in our theological articulations, confessions, creeds, uh, certain things that could be fortified by the perspective of peoples of other global mm -hmm. cultures. Yep. Yes. Um, and, um, and I don't know, I'm not saying that therefore the project is to, to rewrite these historic global confessions. I think what it is, is to take those things, but to humbly acknowledge their Amen. limitations and then to fill, and then to fill them out with other mm -hmm. resources or to identify together what its limitations are and what its Absolutely. weaknesses are and what gaps need to be filled. We need to have that conversation mm -hmm. so that we're not continually affirming and reaffirming limited culture and culture rated confessions of our theological truths mm. as if they are perfect and complete and uh, don't need additional voices uh, to speak into them or to speak alongside them. Right. So that's the theological piece. Yeah. I could say, you know, we could, we could go down the list, right? Our, lit our liturgical practices yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in the church, oh, yeah. right? Uh, so rich and so wonderful. And, you know, we're, we're located in the Reformed Presbyterian tradition, right? So every church yeah. tradition has its sort of forms of worship, how we worship God on a Sunday morning and throughout the week, right? We, we all have these traditions. Who decided what works best, what's most true to scripture and what connects most with people, right? And what, in what ways are those actually things that we need to invite more voices and cultural perspectives into, um, I mean, this is, you know, this is a big deal. This is a significant project that we're talking about mm -hmm. in terms of rebuilding uh, our community structures, our liturgical mm -hmm. forms, um, our, you know, challenging our assumptions. It's not easy, but I think it's worth it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. It's not. It's not easy. It it requires um, a a liberated imagination, mm. and you have to decolonize your mind, right? Um, and that's not to say that you can't glean anything good, you know, um, from a Western, you know, um, I guess framework, right? right. Um, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but I think you, it, it because it becomes so normative, you have to do very intentional work. 
um, to undo that and to begin to look to the margins like, yeah. hell, hold on, yeah. wait a minute. You know, like they have something to say um, and, and they need to be centered, right? Um, this is God's upside down kingdom. Yeah. And so we need to begin to reorient ourselves toward that, which is so hard within our context. Um, so thank you so much for breaking that yeah. down. And, and I guess in that same vein, uh, what would you say, you know, as a, as a pastor of a, a multicultural um, church, what would you say are some of the unique burdens and even the role of a multi-ethnic um, church um, with regard to racial justice? What What is the role for, for a church that sits within the multi-ethnic um, and multicultural intersection? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know, we, theologically, the Bible teaches us that the church is meant to be uh, basically a little sneak preview mm. of heaven, right? The church, I mean, we get jaded because it doesn't always look like that and feel like that. That's for sure, because we're fallen people. But the church is meant to be a mini model of the kingdom mm. of God. And so I think what, what you have in multicultural, multi-ethnic churches is a, 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 a little... Um, <laughs> community that can actually, by the grace of God, start to put into practice uh, what it looks like to be a reconciled community, what it looks like to be a community zealously that pursues kingdom justice. And one of its most important roles, I think, is therefore to give hope to a weary world. Yeah. That God actually is doing this work. That, you know, so the, the world at large is broken and we're not going to change everything, not by ourselves and not overnight, but at least this little huddle of people, people are being changed. Relationships are actually being healed. Uh, people are actually starting to repent and people are actually learning to forgive. And I think to understand that the, the, the small unit of the local church is wonderfully small in a way that actually makes things feel more possible, giving us new energy and new hope. Gosh, God is actually on the move. I don't necessarily see it all out there, and I certainly don't see it on social media, but I see it with yeah. my brothers and sisters to my immediate left and mm -hmm. to my immediate right. Um, and that's, anyway, the primary place where God has called me to be faithful. So I think there's that. It's a, it's a, a little generator of hope. Um, I yeah. think that church is also a training base, like an equipping ground. We're called to nurture and disciple mm -hmm. people. Um, and, you know, we, we like to move quick and try to uh, do all these things on a large scale, change the world. But no, God says, you know, let's grow one brother and sister at a time. Let, let, it, it, real transformation is slow, mostly hidden. Um, and is something that shows up in real lives, real people lives. So the, the church is where you train people up and equip people with a vision for kingdom justice, for cross-cultural relationships, for racial repentance, for racial wholeness. Yeah. And then you send them out into the world in every sector of life where God has called them to so that they can infuse this vision into every other relationship and workplace and relational space and sphere that they are called to be a part of. So uh, I think it's just wonderfully strategic, but it's also true to God's word to say, we, we have to hunker down and apply ourselves most 
to the local church mm. setting for transformation to happen. I, I know that's not a popular view, um, but I really do think mm. that's true. Mm-hmm. No, so good. Thank you so much. Um, as I'm listening to you, yeah. Pastor Duke, I am thinking in my mind of the potential um, yeah. concerns, objections, or angst, even, even about the conversation that we're having right now, even about kind of you know, the whole series at Truth Table is trying to work through. And um, and that doesn't mean yeah. that when we work through these series or we have these <laughs> these podcasts, we do them in a way that, you know, is sinless. Of course not. There are always spaces to push back and critique sure. and say, sharpen this right. or look at that. But, I, but I, I imagine there will be some folks who could even say something like this conversation about repairing the breach um, is, a, is a hindrance yeah. to racial reconciliation and moves people away from mm-hmm. forgiveness or their idea of what they think forgiveness um, is. And so I know that mm-hmm. we all have our way of responding to that, but I was curious to hear how you might respond to someone who sincerely says, does, does this conversation in some way subvert forgiveness? Um, and, and is it a hindrance to uh, racial this idea of what racial reconciliation is? Yeah, it, it can be. Mm-hmm. It can be a hindrance to forgiveness depending on how we do it. Um, mm. if, if, it's, if, if we approach it with arrogance, mm-hmm. um, with unjust or slanderous accusation, or with a lack of humility, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of junk that can get in the way of forgiveness and repentance. And so we do need to be careful with how we go about it. But I would actually turn it around and argue that we cannot get to the place of genuine forgiveness mm-hmm. without a more true and honest reckoning with our past sins. Mm-hmm. And this idea of reparation, repair, is a step towards acknowledging together that there's real brokenness that needs to be made whole. There's real injury that needs to be healed. Because forgiveness isn't surface peace, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just let's stop talking right. about it. Let's just get along, right? Unity um, uh, without genuine conversation or weeping and mourning and um, dealing with things. So, so I, I actually think this is actually for the purpose of forgiveness, genuine forgiveness, deep forgiveness, right, life giving. Right. Forgiveness. We want to dance together. That is the goal, but we can't dance because right now mm. we're still stuck in a place of not being able to together share a common memory about past wrong. Oh yeah, yeah. And therefore address them and redress them. Right? We're not. We don't see the past um, in the same way. You know, one of the the most important things that we need to do right now is to uh, learn history all over again (laughs) together (laughs) so that we can be led to a deeper and better informed repentance so that we can bear the fruit of genuine forgiveness. Mm. So simply to to jump to forgiveness um, without... uh, examining 
what true repentance actually entails um, doesn't lead us to forgiveness at all. I understand the concern, in other words. Mm-hmm. I get the concern, right. but I think it's important to remember this is for the purpose of helping us to grow in truer forgiveness. Because I, I, I would say, look, yeah. you know, a lot of people, a lot of people complain, why, why do we keep on, haven't we already apologized? Haven't we already said sorry? How, haven't we already repented? And the answer is no. Not really. Not really. And I don't don't know if people always understand that that's kind of a simple bottom line. We wouldn't be still working through all these contours of how we can repent better and reparation, repentance, all all that. We wouldn't be talking about that if we had done it well and right. Right. The basic premise to this conversation is that we haven't, right? Um, And... uh, and, and again, it's, it's, it's not necessarily because people haven't tried or that they don't think that we've, as a church, collectively repented. Well, they, they may believe so, but I think we need to return to Scripture to learn a better and fuller theology of repentance. And I think that points us towards reparation. No, so good. So good. You know, Pastor Duke, it's not lost on us, and I don't think it'll be lost on the listeners, that it, yeah. that it is an, an Asian brother in Christ who is that we're having this conversation with. And I think, mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. I, I would love if you would, if you don't mind sharing with us about how the gospel empowers ethnic solidarity, how it is mm. that you, even though you may not have the same um, ethnic kinship experience as a Kimini and I are able to see, mm-hmm. to, to, to talk about this matter with us and how all of us should be able to see this, these matters as it relates to our other brothers and sisters in Christ of, of various ethnic and racial backgrounds. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, what, what, what's the story of the good news hmm. of Jesus? It's Jesus, the, the eternal son of God, leaving his letting go of his natural mm. cultural surroundings mm. in heaven, mm-hmm. crossing from heaven to earth out of infinite love, entering into our human flesh. So getting into our skin in order to see the world through our eyes and walk through this world in our shoes or or sandals, as it were, at that time, <laughs> um, in order to stand in our place, live in our place, die in our place, rise in our place for our salvation, for the salvation of this world, right? That's the story of the gospel. And so when that, when that story changes your life, when that story of love mm. uh, starts to turn your world right side up, um, you want to love like that, mm-hmm. and I and I think it's it, so for yeah. me it's uh, this uh, you know stepping into other people's worlds, um, trying to see the world through other people's eyes. Yeah. You know what, what what you call you know that sort of gospel empathy, absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Um, or to use the theological term, incarnation, right? right. The Son of God yeah. put on human flesh; he incarnated. Mm-hmm. Where that, that I feel like that's what compels me? I feel like love means um, entering into other people's worlds, Try, trying everything that I can to see it through their eyes and to feel it in their skin and 
to walk through this world through their feet and to listen and listen and understand and 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 then and that so it's no surprise then that, that everywhere in the Bible it says, look, if you, if you really Mm. Or someone that belongs to Jesus, you will yeah. weep when someone else weeps. <laughs> you will yes. rejoice when someone else rejoices. What is it? That's called empathy. Yeah. This is this is just when Jesus comes into your life, you start to take on the burdens and the celebrations of other people. Yes, yes. Uh, because you are one. Solidarity is essential to Christian salvation. And, um, and so that, I, you know, in a nutshell, that's kind of, I think mm. what, uh, you know, by God's grace, I, I, I've become compelled to do, especially with respect to the black experience and, uh, both the, the joys and the sufferings and the, the celebrations and the sorrows and the wounds and all that. Um, and I'll tell you why, just to say, um, part of it too, is because I, I wholeheartedly believe that, the racialization of American society and the American church mm-hmm. is built around the black experience. Mm. Oh yeah. Mm. And so if we're going to untangle the mess that we found ourselves in, we actually need all of us. Even if you're not black, you need to understand the black experience and the racialization of America around blackness. Sure. And whiteness. And so as an Asian American, guys, you know, what, what I say to myself and what I say to other people is that, that there is something to growing and understanding your own identity, you know, my yellowness, as it were, right? Mm-hmm. But what I say is, in this country, at least, in racialized America, right. you cannot understand yellowness without understanding blackness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there's, there's actually something to... Uh, sort of a, a, a joint sort of project of growing and understanding all of ourselves, but there's something uh, archetypal about the unique black-white struggle in America mm-hmm. um, that we need to pay attention to if we're even going to learn how to mm-hmm. serve and love right. and empower Asian Americans and Latinos and sure, and sure. multiracial folks and, and every person in the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so so I think there's a whole a host of reasons mm-hmm. uh, for every person and Christians especially to to really dive into and pay a lot of attention mm-hmm. um, to the experiences of our Black sisters and brothers. Thank you. Thank you so much for your wisdom, particularly on how the gospel really does fuel inter-ethnic um, solidarity. And it's it's so important. Mm. And I'm so glad you brought up the importance, right, um, yeah. of our non-Black brothers and sisters learning the history um, of Blackness um, in this country, right? Because I, I, you're going to have a hard time um, in, in America if you don't understand um, the, I guess, the racial caste system, if you will. Right. Um, and you and you mentioned um, incarnational empathy, mm-hmm. and, and and which reminds me um, of the fact that compassion has legs, right? Because yeah. Jesus moved toward people. Right. Um, and I just think about the ways um, as the the internet bishop um, <laughs> that you are. <laughs> I, 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 
Duke, Duke really is the internet vision. <laughs> Follow him. Uh, but I think about the ways that you you um, you exude that compassion, mm-hmm. uh, even on the internet streets, on Facebook and on Twitter. There's many many tweets, many posts that you have put up mm. um, that have um, parked right up my driveway mm-hmm. um, and given me what I needed um, in that moment. And so I just want to, you know, we want to give you this opportunity to talk about talk to our listeners about how they can um, follow your work um, if you plan on doing anything write anything about ecclesiastic reparations um, and how they can follow you because I think that you're um, such a great source of wisdom mm-hmm. and you really embody the um, humility um, of a shepherd leader and uh, I, I think everybody would benefit from following you in your work so um, so yeah this is just your time to talk to our listeners and see how they can actually link up and join in on what you're doing yeah well this will be short because there, 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 there's not really, <laughs> they can also go to church really cooking, you know? yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> I'm like just trying to get through the day, you know. <laughs> but no, I mean, even on this ecclesiastical reparation stuff, I mean, it is an idea that I am interest, interested in sort of developing and just, you know, but I, I see it as a collaborative process, right? Through conversations like this. Like, how do we keep on filling it out? How do we shape mm-hmm. um, kind of what this could look like, right? Because we touched on yeah. some stuff, but like, look, what, what would it look like for us to, to actually uh, allocate more money to subsidize mm. uh, more ministries and programs on a denominational level, on a, yeah, on a local sure. level um, that actually centers the black experience and black sisters mm-hmm. and brothers. You know, what does it look like to actually maybe put up scholarships for African-American students at church-based Christian schools as part of reparation because of mm-hmm. the history of a lot of schools that were created in response to school integration in the 60s and 70s, yes. right? So, I mean, there's yes. just so many different angles to what it could look like mm. for us to have a new imagination yeah. of what church life could be like today if African-Americans had been a part of our churches for the last 300 years. Yeah. What, what would that be like? And can we chase those imaginations? Anyway, mm. I know we're trying to wind down here. I'm go, I'm taking no, the time. <laughs> no, no, keep on. We, 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 we following your brother. No. We with you. <laughs> my, my point there is, is this kind of stuff, it, it, it will only um, uh, work in community and in dialogue and in sharpening each other. Absolutely. Challenging each other and stuff like that. So, so I don't have a handbook for it. I just, I just throw out funny sounding phrases and then make you all figure it all out right. for me. You know, um, but uh, we're happy to yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm always happy to keep talking. Yeah, people can find me on on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Duquan mm-hmm. DC. So D U K E K W O N D C. And find me on Facebook too. Just my first and last name, Duquan. Um, but I'm always happy to talk. You know, I, I'm I'm uh, happy to engage. I'm always happy to listen mm-hmm. um, and uh, and to be challenged and, and stuff like that. But most of all, I, you know, I love social media is cool, but I, real transformation happens in face to face relationships. Absolutely, right? Yes. I'm a, I mean, we know that. We know that. Yes. And so, lo- yes. local church life, or even opportunities I have to talk with people or work with people in person, mm-hmm. even if you're not part of my church. Um, that that's the stuff I value the most, mm-hmm. and um, including you guys, <laughs> right? I, I just appreciate you two, three, right? 
Um, yes. the, the ghost of Michelle. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. The ghost. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so. We love and appreciate you, Pastor Duke. We really love Yeah. Well, you guys, you guys sharpened me and you speak into my life and, and shed so much light on so many important things. So thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for having you me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Duke. Thank you so much for taking a seat at the table with us this week. We are honored to have you. And we are just, you know, just excited about the prospect of this new concept you brought to the table, which is ecclesiastical reparations. I think there's a lot of promise there, um, which is why we wanted you to come here and talk about it. So, um, so of course, we also want to thank our listeners for taking a seat at the table with us. It is the end of our Reparations Now series, but of course, you can keep the conversation. We would love to keep the conversation going um, on the social media streets. So (laughs) tweet us your thoughts about ecclesiastical reparations or the or the series as a whole um, using the hashtag Truths Table. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truths Table and like our Truths Table Facebook page because we have one of those now. Uh, you can also email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Now, don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Check out our brand new website and book Truths Table at truthstable.com. Our producer for this show is Joshua Heath and our executive producer is Bo York. And we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truths Table. Bye, y'all.